And um, before we do, what do we usually do? Yeah, let's pray. And what do we usually do when we pray at this particular time? Thank God for His blessings, right? Don't usually ask for much. We just uh, express our thanksgiving to the Lord. Lord, we're grateful today for Your mercy and Your grace. What a beautiful day it is. Indeed, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We're thankful for your mercy and your grace and all that you've done for us. You're an awesome God, and we love you tonight. Oh, Lord, for all the blessings you give us, the roof over our heads, the cars to drive, the homes to live in, a church to worship in. Lord, for the life and health and strength and eyesight and sound mind and the ability to hear and all that you do for us, the very breath of life, we're so thankful. Lord, we appreciate the desire that you have placed in our hearts that causes us to be here on a Wednesday night while the sun is still shining with a desire in us to study the word of the Lord. We pray tonight that you would help us, help us with clarity Illuminate our minds and our hearts as we look into your word today. Speak to us about things, Lord, that uh, might be relevant in our lives. Um, Help us to understand something that would help each of us tonight to please you more fully. Have your way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Peter. He is um, a man with whom I think we probably are familiar. Um, As we look into Scripture, uh, we read about this man. If we're going to look at the Gospel of John, I mean, excuse me, if we're going to look at Peter in the Gospels, um, I'm going to read a couple verses. You're welcome to turn with me to John chapter 1 for the first one there, John chapter 1. Uh, This is when Jesus was being baptized, and the Bible says in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 40, as far as the the time frame goes of when Peter is introduced in the New Testament, this probably would be the first time. Now, I know there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke that comes before John, but that doesn't mean that everything that happened in Matthew... And then Luke came after that, and, and Mark came after that. It's not sequential in that way. If we're looking at the earliest representation of this man in the Gospels, this would be it. And uh, the Bible says there, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak, that is John the Baptist, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now that is the first time that we have mention of... of um, this man Peter in the New Testament, if we're, if we're following a timeline. Now, about three years later or so, in Matthew 16, we'll find 
um, another important reference to this man. And this would be near the end of Christ's ministry. And this is a familiar passage to most of you. And then we're going to begin to look at this book that bears his name. Matthew 16, verse 18. And most of you could quote this uh, passage. It's a familiar one. Matthew 16, verse 18. Well, let's back up to verse 17. No, let's don't do that. Let's back up to verse 14. So they said, some say Jesus wanted to know who the men say that I am. Verse 14 says, so they say, some say John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That word bar there simply means son of. Simon, son of Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever, or whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So, we have this man who is known as Simon and Peter and Cephas. Now, Simon was, was his natural name. That's the name that he was given, Simon. Peter is the new name that Jesus assigned to him. Uh, it's, a, it's in the Greek, and it means rock. Also, we read in the Scripture the name Cephas. Cephas is also rock, but it's in Aramaic. So all we're doing is we're looking at different languages here. His given name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, which is translated from the Greek, and then also we have recorded for us his name in Aramaic, Aramaic, which was Cephas, which means rock. So what we're going to do tonight is to use the rest of our time going through this New Testament epistle. And basically all you need is your Bible. And I hope you have that because that's why we're here tonight to study Scripture. So verse 1, chapter 1 of the first epistle of Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now that's as far as I need to, need to read right now. I would like for someone to turn to Acts chapter 1. And uh, read that for me. Who, who'll do that? Okay, Dennis. Dennis is going to Acts chapter 1 in just a moment and going to read for us. And then we're, we're going to explore what this means when Peter is writing to, in verse 1, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. What does that mean? We're going to ponder that. So, Dennis, if you have Acts 8.1, read it for us, please. 8.1. I'm sorry. Acts 8 1. Now Saul 
that time, the great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And without many, Herod seized them from the store of Syria, and made great lamentation over them. Okay, if you would read that part again where it says, A great persecution arose. And listen very carefully to this sentence, please. Okay, can you imagine? Now, the church, uh, what we read in the book of Acts when they gathered together in the upper room and the day of Pentecost took place and this, this wonderful time of growth took place. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, how many came to the Lord? 3,000. Just a few days later, there were how many more who came to the Lord? 5,000. The church is growing like crazy. Uh, the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. It was growing, 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 right? And the early church was made up of what group of people? They were all Jews. In the early days there, all the Jews lived in Jerusalem. Pentecost happened when the Jews were there. Even the people who came from other lands were Jewish or proselytes to, that, uh, to the Jewish faith. So they were Jewish people. But then the Bible says there arose a persecution against the church, and they were what? They were scattered. Uh, that's called in some writings the uh, diaspora. It's called here the dispersion. Uh, but the fact of the matter is what was happening was that the Jews in Jerusalem in the early church, because of persecution, had to flee. They lived in Jerusalem. This persecution comes against the church, so then they have to flee. They have to leave home for their own safety, for their own lives. They have to flee. Now, the Scripture says here that, that uh, Peter is writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion or the pilgrims who were scattered. They were the ones who were in Jerusalem, but they had to flee because of persecution they had to get out of Jerusalem there because they were Christ followers and they were experiencing this tremendous persecution. So they scattered. And this, this, um, this idea of scattering, of, of having to flee persecution, was this was not the only time. It wasn't the first time that God's people had to flee because of persecution, and it certainly wasn't the last time. This type of thing happened over and over and over again. So when we read the word here, pilgrims, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, let's explore the, the word pilgrim for a minute. What does it mean? Okay, strangers, settlers, on the move. Go back in the history of the United States when the pilgrims came here, right? They were on the move. They, they were leaving, fleeing where they were and came here. They were strangers, right? The, all of those, those um, uh, words and, and definitions you just gave are, aren't accurate. To the pilgrims of the dispersion. He's writing to people who were who've had to move, who are on the, on, the, on the run, if you will, who really don't belong 
where they are, and they're not necessarily there by choice, and they're not there permanently, but they're pilgrims. Now, as we uh, continue that line of thinking, if you would, look in verse uh, 24. Well, let's see. I think that's 120. I have obviously written this down not correctly. One of the ones I wanted you to see is in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners. I beg you as sojourners. Same thing, right? What does it mean to sojourn? To travel. And they are pilgrims. They are travelers. It says in verse 11, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, that's what they're being called and referred to again. And I have written down a wrong verse. There's another one in there somewhere that has the same language in it. And... um I'm overlooking it. I thought it was chapter 1, but I think I've written it down wrongly. I've got 2.11. I wrote down 124. That's the one I just read. 124 is not the one I'm looking for, though. You know, I may have mixed acts in there. That may be what the problem was. No matter. We get the idea here that um, he's writing to people who are um, travelers. They don't really belong there. They're strangers. And I've already made mention of the fact that there were multiple times when God's people were called that. They found themselves somewhere that was another place than where they belonged. They were strangers and pilgrims and sojourners and travelers. It's not like they they were homesteaded there. They just kind of had to be there for a while. Can you think of another group of people that that word describes pilgrims and strangers when it's used in Scripture? Who said that? Why, Dennis? Excellent. We are pilgrims and strangers here. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because we don't act like pilgrims and strangers here. We act like we're going to be here forever. Right? And we set up our kingdoms and boy, we just, we, this is all so important to us. And the Bible does teach us, does it not, that that our time spent here on this earth, in this life, is minuscule in comparison to what lies before us. Am I right? We're pilgrims and strangers here. We used to sing songs about that a whole lot. This world is not my home. I'm only passing by. My treasures and my hope are all up in the sky. My friends and loved ones wait who've gone this way before. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Anybody remember that song? 
And there's a lot of other songs the same way that talk about that. You know what? I believe that Christians nowadays who really are, are committed to the Lord, I'm talking about praying folk, I believe Christians are getting pretty unhappy in this world today. We're feeling like strangers here, right? Because of the things that are, are happening in the world today, because of the trends that are taking place, the way that, that our society is getting so far away from godly principles, it just seems like we're, we're, we're on a path going in the wrong direction as fast as we can go as far as our culture is concerned. And, and we're not com- I hope you're not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, I, I've mentioned to you many times before how things have changed in my lifetime since I've been on this earth in the last 61 years. Oh, how things have changed. When Lucy, when I was a little boy, when Lucy and Ricky wouldn't even sleep on in the same bed on the television program, the Lucy Show. Boy, have we come a long way, baby. <laughs> Things are different now, aren't they? The 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 morality, the the um, the mindset that our culture had caused the producers of the Lucy show to say, no way can you put Ricky and Lucy in the same bed. That'll never fly. People will revolt over that. And so they didn't. They put them in separate beds. That was that was the morality of that day. They thought people would never receive them being in the same bed on the Ricky and Lucy show. So that's why there were double beds there. But now we see it doesn't matter if Ricky and Lucy were in the same bed, but but Larry and Steve can be in the same bed now, right? Two men can or two women can. And our morality has changed completely. And I don't know about you, but I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with men marrying men and women marrying women. I'm not comfortable with with the morals of the day. I'm not. There's a lot about this world today that, that makes me feel like I don't even belong here more. I don't even fit in here anymore. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? So what I'm saying is we are, right now, we are pilgrims and strangers. We don't fit in here. And as Dennis has already mentioned, this world is not our home, and we are citizens in heaven. The Bible says our citizenry is there. And, and so um, we're like a fish out of water now. And we wonder why sometimes we are unhappy and we're bothered. We should be bothered. We should be uncomfortable with the way things are in our culture and in our society today. So I said all that to say this, that if that is true, if Christians, genuine born-again Christians today, if we are pilgrims and strangers and we don't fit in and we're like a fish out of water, that means there's going to be times when there's conflict, right? There was, it was true then and it's that way now. And the book of First Peter was written during a time of conflict. The emperor, Nero, um, was a man who had very little tolerance for Christians. And many of you, in, in fact, let me do a little commercial here. Sunday afternoon, uh, no, Saturday afternoon. Good grief, I don't even know. One afternoon, <laughs> Joy and I went to see a movie. 
I saw on TV they were advertising Paul the Apostle or the Apostle Paul or whatever the name of the title of the film is. It was about the Apostle Paul. Just released. So we went to see the movie. I'm going to tell you, it was a, now it was a, it was a whole lot like, not as violent and as sobering as the Passion of the Christ was, but it was not an entertaining film. You don't go laugh at this film. It's, it's not entertaining in the sense, oh man, that was great. Who's going to get the Emmy on this one? None of that. It's just that you see this, this story played out of the Apostle Paul. And the whole storyline is historically accurate. And it, it focuses around Nero and his persecution of the early church. And Nero, as many of you know, supposedly set fire to Rome. Um, he, he burned a good section of the city, burned it down, and then blamed the Christians for it being burned down. Cast the blame off on the Christians. As a result of that, the Christians were persecuted. The film depicted Christians being tied to, to post and covered with tar and pitch and then ignited with a match to be torches in certain places throughout the city at night. Burned alive. Um, the film showed the Apostle Paul at the end of the, the film where he laid his head over in a, in a stump-like thing, a big post that was so wide with a little place hung out where he put his head in there and then, of course, the screen went dark, but they beheaded him um, in the film there. Th that was real stuff. Christians were treated that way. Christians were persecuted. Christians were murdered. Christians were hated. And so as a result, they're fleeing for their lives. They're, they're Indeed, they're strangers. Indeed, they're pilgrims. Indeed, they don't belong. They're not welcome. They're resented. Their very presence is resented in society. Is it not true that the very presence of Christians right now is being resented in our society? We're told to shut up, don't speak up, keep to yourself. And anytime we speak up about, listen, you can speak up about Islam, you can talk about any religion you want to talk about, and nobody will say a word. But you start talking about Jesus, and they'll tell you to stop that, you don't have a right to do that. Right? We're told to keep quiet, and, and we don't fit in. Our gospel the gospel that this book teaches is not welcomed in our society as a whole. And we are now beginning to be the, the group that is hated in the world today. Not, I'm not talking about us right here only. I'm just talking about Christians in general. People who believe the Word of God, believe that God created us. His Son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross for us, rose from the dead. And we follow Him and we believe His Word. We take it seriously. We are not welcome we are not respected, we are not appreciated, we are not wanted in this world today. We're, not, we're, we're pilgrims and strangers. And so as we, we read and understand how we feel today, it must have been a hundred times worse for them because they literally were being murdered and persecuted in, in unbelievably horrible ways. So... During this time of persecution, um, the Apostle Peter writes to them. Paul was martyred in the movie, Paul the Apostle. But Peter lived during the same time and is experiencing the same persecutions. 
as Christians throughout the, the world and the region are being persecuted. So then that gives context to what we're about to read. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Got to be one of the longest sentences in the Bible. And here's another one. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, these are, these are things that he's saying now. I hope you're picking up here his, his wording, tested by fire. Remember the context of what has happened? He says, though, it is, though your faith is being tested by fire, it will be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Do you think somebody would have to love the Lord to stand strong in spite of persecution and then experience the kind of treatment that the Christians experienced during those days? It makes me wonder as um, uncommitted and nonchalant as Christians are today in our society, how many of us would actually stand in a time of real persecution? I just wonder. And so, the, so Peter writes to them and, and, and um, acknowledges the fact that they're going through persecution and they, their faith is being tested. He says, even though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, somebody look at that passage we've just read, and we've acknowledged that they're experiencing persecution. I would like for you to tell me how Peter says they're handling their persecution. What did he say about the fact that they were being persecuted and how they were handling it? That, that's what he said, didn't he? he that's, is that not amazing now? He didn't say you, you're whining and he didn't say you're crying and weeping and he didn't say you were down in the depths. He said, though even now you, you do not see Jesus. Now Jesus is real and Jesus saved you and you, you don't see him now and you haven't seen him. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So they were rejoicing and they had joy even during this time of great trials. If you believe or understand that that is what Peter is saying, would you say amen? 
Okay, we've got that then. They, they weren't depressed. They weren't down. He says that they, they were believing and rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You know what that tells me? We can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. We can be committed to the Lord. And ha- listen, here's the way we think. We think as long as everything's going good in my life, as long as everything's going good in the church, as long as everything's going good in my home, then I can have joy. We don't actually think this way, but it's the way we respond. Because let something go wrong. Let things begin to kind of fall apart on any of those different levels, and and we begin to experience some trouble. And then where does our joy go? A lot of times, tell me. It goes right out the window. You're exactly right. It could be it could be the the silliest little insignificant thing you could imagine, right? I mean, we could be so happy and we can be so full of joy and just the least little thing go wrong, it can ruin our week. Am I right? And it's because I think because we haven't learned that our joy is is not tied to our circumstances. I don't think we've really learned that yet. Many times our joy is tied to our circumstances, but it shouldn't be because God is God whatever happens in our life, right? And we should have joy whatever happens in our life. Joy does not mean that everything has to be going super in our lives. We can have joy when things are not going well in our lives, and that's what this teaches us. You've got people trying to kill you, hunt you down, and take your life. You're going through a trial of your faith, but you're still rejoicing with joy inexpressible and, and, and just filled with joy. And he says that's a valuable, valuable, precious thing. And it is. Uh, he's, he's going to tell us as we go through this book of the Bible that, um, you know, we really need to understand this relationship that we have with the Lord. And it's, it has really nothing to do with our circumstances. If we know we're saved and we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we should have some peace and joy in our hearts, no matter what else comes our way. This, There's so much in this that I wish we could talk about, and we're not going to have time, but I'm just going to hit some bullet points as we go through this book of the Bible. Verse 10 says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering of things which now have been reported to you. Now, what do you think it means when it when the Bible says in verse 10, speaking about salvation, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. What does that tell us? What does it what does inquire mean? Ask. Ask about. In other words, what it's actually saying is the, the 
prophets received things from the Lord that they didn't understand. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't have all the answers. God gave them a message, and they shared the message God gave them, but they didn't understand it. It says they inquired about it, and they searched carefully about this. And again, it says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. And we've mentioned this before in some of our previous studies. But the reason I mention that is because the prophet said things that they really didn't know the meaning to. They couldn't give the explanation for it. They stated these things, but they didn't really understand fully these things. And that's what this is telling us about this salvation, the coming of Jesus, his suffering, and the glory that would follow. It says they inquired. They had questions. They searched carefully. They scratched their head. They wondered. They just didn't get it. They searched again in verse 11. When is this going to happen? How is this going to be? The Spirit of Christ was in them, indicating beforehand the sufferings of Christ, but they just couldn't piece it together. And the Bible says it is so amazing and so wonderful uh, in the latter part of that verse that the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Uh, this is where this came from. It, th- it says, things which the angels desire to look into. Even the angels went, <gasps> when these things were made known. The angels didn't understand it either. That's, that's, it's, it's elevating our salvation. It's elevating what Christ has done for us. So then, verse 13, therefore, you're going to read the word therefore a lot of times in this little short book in the Bible. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should look at it real closely and see what it's there for. Did you get that? It's not just a wasted word. Whenever you see the word therefore, it's making reference to what's just been said. Based on that, let me say this. So based on what we just said, verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be bought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Somebody tell me what it means to gird up the loins of your mind. Anybody know? Back in Bible days, did they wear trousers like this? Did they? No. <laughs> Harold says they wore dresses. That's, that's good. Uh, and then uh, they wouldn't have liked calling them dresses, but you get the point. Uh, robes, dresses. The point being, when they got ready to, to move and travel somewhere, wouldn't those dresses kind of get in the way? Those long dresses? And so what they would do is take those and, and roll them up and bring it up around their waist, their loin area, and they take their belt. Uh, sometimes the King James Version said girdle, but they just take their belt and tie that long flowing garment up here, getting the, getting the, the cloth 
away from their ankles and their knees, and now they could travel and move unencumbered and not held back by that cloak or that dress. So the Bible says here, and they understood this imagery, the Bible says here, then, we should gird up the loins of our minds. So what's that mean? Be careful what you watch and what you see. Pardon me? Listen, our minds can take us into a lot of different places, can it? And if we're going to serve the Lord, we have to learn to gird up the loins of our mind and tie it in a knot and, and control what we uh, focus on so that we can move to where God wants us to be and be what He wants us to be. So he says, gird up the loins of your mind as obedient children. Conduct yourselves here um, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. When I was reading this today, it's like there's a, there's a phrase there that just kind of jumped out at me. And it's the word not conforming. Not conforming. Christians are not supposed to be conforming to this world. Amen? What are we supposed to be doing? Transforming. Yeah, thank you. We're not supposed to be tra- we're not supposed to be conforming to this world. Are we ever told in scripture that we're supposed to be like this world? Are we different from the world? Well, they don't like it. They'd like for us to be more like them, right? So, are we supposed to conform to what they want? No. So we're not supposed to be conforming. We are supposed to have our minds being transformed, changed by the gospel and the word of God. So it's, a, it's an interesting thought there. Verse 17, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, he says, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here, What's that language make you think about that we've already talked about? Exactly. We're here temporarily. I like the way that's worded. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. It goes on to say, um, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, you have to be very careful what you do. Not, you can't always do the same things just because you've always done them. Verse 20, it even talks about um, who Jesus was and what he's doing for us. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Verse 22. It talks about sincere love of the brethren. And how we're supposed to love one another fervently with a pure heart. Since you have purified your souls. And obeying the truth through the spirit. In sincere love of the brethren. Notice that. Your sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. I'm going to read that one more time. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Jesus said, one of the signs of the time of the end 
was going to be that the love of many would wax cold. The opposite of what Peter says we should do, right? So we need to we need to take note. We're talking here, we're getting to it's almost like we're running a race and we can see the finish line. It's like we can almost see light at the end of the tunnel. Listen, these are the last days. We're coming to the end. We're, we're seeing things happen that the Bible said was going to happen. The love of many would wax cold. How many like to take a cup of coffee first thing in the morning and and it's hot and, and you just made it and some of you drink a pot of coffee every morning and you, you like that first cup of coffee, right? But how many like that cup of coffee after it sits there for about an hour and a half and then you go pick it up and take a sip of it? It's not so good then, is it? It's waxed cold. It's almost disgusting, isn't it, when it's like that? The Bible says here um, that we are to have sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, hotly, with a pure heart. Notice in verse 24, and you know what? This is the passage. I, I wrote it down right. I can see it clear as day now. The Bible says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, which tells us what about man? Temporary. Short life. Temporary. Strangers, again. It's not a lingering thing. Our pers- and, and our perspective about things is very limited, isn't it? But you know what God's perspective is? Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures how long? We tend to see things with a snapshot. He sees it in full view. Pardon me? He sees it forever, not just a snapshot. So, therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, laying aside all malice, what's malice? Okay, laying aside all hate, all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Let's just pause there for just a moment. Let's look at that, look at that phrase there. Tells us what we're not to do. And then it tells us what we're supposed to do as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word. Take a little baby that's about uh, six hours old or six weeks old or six months old. Doesn't matter. Do they let you know when they're ready for milk? Is there any doubt what they want when they want it? They desire milk. And if they don't get milk, what are they going to do? They're going to let you know, right? That's the snapshot that he's using here. That's the picture. And we, as babes in Christ, we should desire the pure milk of the Word. We cannot be satisfied until we have the milk of the Word. We need the Word every day. That is, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 
think about that. I, I mean, I just, it's just amazing to me. When I read the Bible, I just see so many things. Uh, that word if there. It is a big word. Absolutely. It's a big word right here. Because sometimes we wonder why people don't desire the pure milk of the word. Well, the reason they don't desire the pure milk of the word uh, could be twofold. It could be maybe they're not a babe yet. Maybe they hadn't been born yet. Or maybe they hadn't been born again yet. Because if they had been born again, the natural thing for a baby to do is be hungry, right? And it says here, Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, because you're not going to grow unless you have the milk of the word, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Do you think, uh, um, well, it, it just goes without saying, really, it's sensible that a baby who hasn't been born yet is not ready to drink milk yet, right? Only after you're born do you get hungry for milk. And only after you come to Christ and are born again do you have an appetite for spiritual things and want the milk of the Word. But when you do get born again, the natural response is to be hungry for the Word of God and want it. You can't get it. You know what? I've known people through the years at different times who came to the Lord and they could not get enough of the Word of God. Now, I hadn't seen that near as often as I'd like to, but I've seen people, they just could not get enough. They wanted to read the Bible. They wanted to talk about the Bible. That's all they wanted. That They were so enamored by it, so excited about the Bible and the Word of God. That's all they wanted. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. That, that's a wonderful thing. Verse 4. Coming to Him as to a living stone. Talking about Jesus now. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen of God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can somebody tell me, what does it mean when it says we are living stones built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices? What's that saying to us? Okay. In what way are we to be examples? Okay, in, in what way? Okay, this says we're not... Uh, okay, first of all, we acknowledge that the imagery here is of building a house, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We could read that here in just a moment. Uh, Jesus is not a dead stone, he's a living stone. The, the verbiage here lets us know that he's talking about something other than a literal stone or a rock. A uh, living stone is what Jesus is, and we are living stones, and we are all being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to do what? Okay, before that. To, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that's, he says he's going he's gonna, to 
He's going to build, we are being built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So what does that mean? He's our foundation for sure. Harold, I didn't hear that. Sorry. To give praise. Yeah, that's why we come together, right? I think we need to get to the place where we don't really care what somebody else thinks. When we come to the house of the Lord, we're coming to praise the Lord. Uh, we, we come in and we're worried about what somebody's going to say if we lift our hands or if we raise our voice or if we get happy or something. We shouldn't even care about that because that's why he put us in this house. That's That's exactly right. We come to offer spiritual sacrifices to him. We don't come to watch a, um, um, a performance by the choir. We don't come to hear a, a sermon from the pastor. We come to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And, and the Bible said before that that we were a holy what? Priesthood. What is the priesthood? In the Old Testament, what did the priests do? They offered sacrifices. So he's taking that imagery that they were familiar with and saying, now you are built up uh, uh, a holy priesthood, a spiritual house, and you're to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Boy, we ought to be thrilled to offer up spiritual sacrifices instead of having to offer up sheep and goats and cows. And I mean, Really? And and that talks about how that that this 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 is not about the preacher. This is not about the. This is about the whole group. We are a holy priesthood. We are a spiritual house. We are living stones. The King James version, I think, says lively stones, doesn't it? And we offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we do that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, but we also do it when we come together collectively on Sunday. We should not be ashamed to worship our Lord. We should, well, I'm going to tell you, if we do anything all week long where we give it all we got, it ought to be when we worship. That's why David said, bless the Lord. O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name, right? So we give it all we've got. We Listen, when we come to church and we give it all we got, we might just perspire a little bit. You think? Really? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it plainly. If you're engaged and you're giving it all you got, you just might get heated up a little bit. You might perspire a little bit. If you pray fervently, you might perspire a little bit. Am I right? If you worship passionately, you might get a little bit winded and out of breath sometimes. I can't imagine David. I I know what David was talking about when he said, Bless the Lord and all that is within me. I'm going to give it all I've got, bless his holy name. And he he said that because he did that. He had done that. Remember when they brought the 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 um, 
Ark of the Covenant back in, and he was so happy about it. What did he do? He he danced. Now he was the king now, and he got out in front of the parade and he danced before the Lord with all of his might. And some of the people criticized. Well, his wife, bless her heart, she criticized him, and she said, "You really showed yourself today." I hope you're proud of yourself. It didn't bother David a bit, did it? He was. He said, "I." He he was just so happy. It didn't bother him what she said. He went ahead and gave that type of praise, unashamed, willing to 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 give it all, lay it on the line for the Lord. Well, um, verse seven says, "The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone." Talking about Jesus. He is a stone of stumbling and rock of offense, verse 8. And then the Bible says, talking about those, listen, not everybody is excited about Jesus being the chief cornerstone, are they? Not everybody's excited about this building that Jesus is building. And you understand, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the spiritual house that he's building. God is a whole lot more concerned with this group right here. And I'm referring to this group because we're the ones who are here, okay, in this room. God is a whole lot more concerned about what's happening in our hearts in this group here than he is what's happening with the sheetrock and the carpet and the light fixtures. He is. And so he's he's building this building, and, and we're built on the chief cornerstone, and we're living stones, and we're a spiritual house, and we're a holy priesthood, and we're supposed to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to the Lord, but not everybody's happy about that. Amen? Everybody's not happy about that. And so verse 8 says, Jesus was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Some people were offended at who he is and what he did and, and, and what, what we stand for. And then the Bible says they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Look at that. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. I'm going to read a verse of scripture to you in John 5:39, and I'd like for you to, to, to listen to this very carefully. John 5:39, Jesus is speaking to the um, scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Jesus said to them, John five thirty nine, you, now remember this is the religious leaders of the day. He says to them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, that is the scripture, are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Isn't it interesting that he's talking to the experts over the word of God, supposedly? And he says to them, you search the scriptures. You're the experts, you think. You think you're going to find eternal life? And these scriptures are what talks about me, Jesus said. And you won't accept me. You want nothing to do with me. It's the same story today. A lot of people don't want anything to do with Jesus. And so what we're, what we're seeing here is that 
that there is um, a, um, a group of people that God has called out, people whom he loves, people who are supposed is it 8 o'clock? Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Does that sound like you? Who at one time didn't have mercy, but now you do? Who you used to not really care about the Lord, but now you love Him? That's us. So in verse 11 it says, Beloved, I beg you. Listen to what Peter says. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims Abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers. They may by your good works which they observe. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Does the Bible say that if we'll serve him faithfully. That we'll never be talked about. No, as a matter of fact, it tells us the opposite. We will be talked about. People will make false accusations. People will talk about you. People will misrepresent you. Don't you worry about it. You keep living for the Lord. Keep looking up. Here's one thing I've noticed about Jesus, and, and this is one thing I think it's, it's hard to do, but it's something we need to learn. I don't find in the Scripture anywhere that Jesus spent any time defending himself. Have you noticed that? All kinds of things were said about him. Accusations were made against him. They pointed fingers and talked about him. You didn't, say him, you didn't see him standing up on a platform somewhere defending himself, do you? The Bible says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and he did what? He did not open his mouth. I don't see Jesus defending himself. But you know what? I see Jesus defending other people. It's not that he was cowardly. It's not that he was afraid. Because he came to the defense, did he not, of this woman who was caught in the act of adultery? And he said, okay, if you guys don't have any sin, then you throw the first stone. He stood up for her. And Jesus was continually standing up for people and, and bringing people into himself. He was helping others and defending them, but you don't see him defending himself. And I kind of take that as a pattern for us. If we're living for the Lord and being faithful to him, we don't have to defend ourselves. Other people will defend us. Other people will speak up for us. And, and, and then when we see somebody else, we need to stand up for them too, right? Speak up for them. Because we're to love one another with a pure heart fervently. And we're needing to make sure that among the brethren, as we've talked about here in this book, that we um, don't allow our love for each other to wax cold. 
but that we maintain that bond and that love that we have because what we have is something precious, something that the Lord has placed us into and something that's very valuable. Amen? Somebody gave me a prayer request when I came in a few minutes ago. I'm trying to pull it up. Um, Sylvia, Tim, Sylvia asked prayer for uh, Tim, um, Kisa's husband, um, don't know exactly if he's got an aneurysm or a blockage, they're doing some tests today and haven't heard from that yet, so please remember him. Um, also, um, uh, Rob and um, Jill Parrish, their baby has been born. Uh, she's doing wonderfully, beautiful little girl, and so just keep that family in prayer if you would, and if you have one that you want to mention, any need, please share it. Well, we didn't get very far tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up somewhere Sunday in, the, in, the, uh, in First Peter. Let's pray. Lord, we just um, are so thankful for your mercy. You grace for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, we just we just thank you. You help us to see the importance of what it is that you have allowed us to be a part of. Lord, the relationship that we have with you, the opportunity to participate in this wonderful thing that we know is the church. And Lord, we're just asking for your help. Help us to take seriously our responsibilities and do what the Word teaches us we should do. Help us to gird up the loins of our mind. Help us to discipline ourselves. Oh, Lord, help us to um, have our conversation, uh, that that would be pleasing in your sight. Give us fervent, hot love for one another. Help us, Lord, to understand that you have placed us together in the same building, this, this, this temple, this house that's been built as a place of praise. And, and you call us, Lord, to come before you and worship you in spirit and in truth and commit our lives to you. And you tell us we should be hungry, very hungry, desiring the milk of the word. So help us, Lord, to to have an appetite for spiritual things and to be the people that you've called us to be. We do lift these needs up to you. Every name that was called here tonight, Lord, we lift it up to you. We pray that you would provide healing. We pray that you would provide comfort. We pray that you would provide um, uh, wisdom on the part of doctors and surgeons and those who are giving tests at the hospitals and so forth. Lord, help them to do their job well. Use them any way you want to, Lord, in, in bringing about help and healing and relief to those who are ill. Lord, we commit these needs to you. Bless each one, we pray, in accordance with your perfect will. And we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. We started when it was daylight. We finished when it's dark. What about that? Yes, ma'am.